This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. It's episode 657. And this week, we're going to talk the past, present, and future of the insurance property restoration industry with Patty Harmon, the editor-in-chief of PropertyCasualty360.com group. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget, after the show, we continue the discussion at afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc., TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com, April Air, April, A-I-R-E.com. Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to report that Don Weeks from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, was first to identify control banding as a concept to minimize worker exposures to hazardous chemicals and other risk factors in the workplace. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, March 11th, 2022, has been sponsored by TSI, an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Other than writing, what do the poet Robert Frost, dramatist Eugene O'Neill, and dramatist and biographer Robert Sherwood have in common? Back to you, Joe. All right. Patricia L. Harmon is the editor-in-chief of PropertyCasualty360.com group, which includes Claims Magazine, National Underwriter Property and Casualty Magazine, and PropertyCasualty360.com website. She also chairs Claims Executive Leadership Forum. She covers auto, property, and casualty, workers' compensation, fraud, emerging risk, and cybersecurity, hosts the Insurance Speak podcast, and is a frequent speaker at industry uh, association events. Patty has over 20 years of experience covering the property restoration and insurance industries. Welcome, Patty. Great to hear. Great to always great to see you. Thank you for having me. I've really been looking forward to this. <laughs> well, we, we've been looking forward to it, too. I mean, uh, people 
you know, nobody likes to talk about insurance until they need it, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, who's my insurance carrier for that? But, uh, you know, you've had a long history in restoration and insurance, and some people would know you from RIA and cl- um, Cleaning and Restoration uh, Magazine. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how that has kind of led you to where you are today and how it's helped you. I have been very fortunate over the years. I had a lot of um, mentors and just people within the restoration industry who took the time to educate me about a lot of different areas. And when I, when I switched from the restoration industry to the insurance industry, all of that property knowledge was extremely helpful. I still had to learn about auto and workers comp and things like that, but it has really, it made that transit transition very easy, especially since I was working remotely. So it wasn't like I could talk to other colleagues in the office and that sort of thing to learn about the insurance industry. A lot of what I learned came from people in the restoration industry and then eventually from folks in the insurance industry as well. I'm wondering, you know, RIA recently, and I I don't know what the call it, whether they sold it or gave it up to uh, the magazine Cleaning and Restoration to Michelle Blevins, who we had on not long ago, and she took over and is going to continue in that legacy. I assume you've had a chance to chat with her and, and talk to her about the her new role. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that whole process. It's kind of unusual to go from, you know, being owned and run by um, an association now to a uh, public company or just a private company, I guess. Um, actually, yes, Michelle and I have had a chance to speak and I was on her podcast. I'm really excited about this change. Cleaning Restoration Magazine has a very long history within the restoration industry. Michelle has literally taken it to the next level. She has updated how she delivers the information. She has found new ways to educate the industry and those outside of it. And I still get the emails from CNR all the time and I read them and I want to look and I want to see who is she talking to because I can get ideas in terms of stories and sources and that sort of thing for insurance as well. And I wish her only the best. I think it, the magazine has a very, or CNR has a very bright future ahead. And I think it's in very good hands with Michelle. Now, how long has CNR been around? I mean, it was there before you, I believe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well before. <laughs> well, well before. You're right. I think it was launched probably in like 1969, 1970. So it's been around for a very long time. Pete may know precisely, but it seems to me it was somewhere around that, that time frame. And now they have this uh, gold. Well, there was a golden quill award for many years. Now it's the Patty L. Harmon golden quill award. Um, Will that continue under Michelle's leadership? You know what? I don't know. I think that'll probably be a determination for Michelle to make as well as RIA. I would hope that they um, would keep that award in some form, whether it stays the Patricia L. Harmon or if they decide to, cha- to change the name to, to something else. I, I think it's important to recognize good journalism, especially good journalism in the restoration industry. What, what in your background led you to you know, being in journalism? <laughs> so when I was in college, my father said to me I had to pick a major, and if I changed it, 
I was going to have to pay for my college education. So I selected mass communications because it gave me a lot of flexibility. And I went to school and I studied journalism as well as marketing and public relations. I like working in journalism because I love being able to tell people's stories. And I like the, I like the education aspect of it. And as maybe some of your um, listeners have noticed, finding a really good news outlet that provides just information without a lot of commentary is really hard to find these days. And that is one of the things that we try to do within ALM and especially within PC360 is that we want to report the news. We want to say, here are the facts. This is what you need to know. You don't need to know anything else beyond that, how we as journalists view something one way or the other. Our job is simply to educate our readers, our listeners, you know, whoever is collecting information from us. Well, tell us a little more about propertycasualty360.com. What, who is the group? What do they do? And then maybe we'll get into a little more on, on your end of things. Okay. So propertycasualty360.com is the website for the PNC industry um, coverage that we provide within ALM. ALM has a number of what we call verticals. We cover real estate, we cover finance, we cover um, legal benefits and insurance. And PC360 is the insurance piece. So on that, on our site, we cover property and casualty, we cover risk management, we cover insurance technology, um, different kinds of markets. We provide information for everyone from agents and brokers and their policyholders to insurance executives ranging um, up into the CEOs, into the, into the executive suite. So we're, we, we provide a lot of different kinds of information. And within the insurance industry, we are definitely one of the go-to sources for information. I think John has the website up now. I wonder if we yep. could walk people through, just Thanks. give them a little idea of the types of things you're covering. Yeah, a lot of different things. So like, it's, it's interesting. We have, we've started to take on a little bit more of a global perspective and some of our coverage because we're finding that what happens in Europe or in other countries, a lot of times those issues or those solutions make their way to the U.S. So while the majority of our subscribers are, are based in North America, we are expanding our coverage globally. Within ALM, we actually have news desks in China and in um, England, London, um, and a couple of other major countries um, around the globe. So we really are very much a news organization. Within the U.S., we have offices in New York, um, Philadelphia, Florida, I'm trying to think, um, in the Midwest and in California. So we're trying to provide really in-depth coverage with kind of reporters on the ground, so to speak. Well, we all have to make some money. Uh, what's what's the money making process for for this group? I'm just curious. Is it do they have special newsletters? Do they have advertisers? How do they handle that? We have advertisers. We have sponsors. We have sponsored products um, that our custom group does. So they may do custom podcasts or um, advertorial um, focused articles. We also do what people may not be aware of. We do quite a number of events. This week, 
our legal team had what we called Legal Week. And so there was a multi-day conference in New York City, and a lot of our legal editors were there. They serve law firms all across the country, all around the globe, really. So that is a large um, national conference for ALM. My insurance conference, the America's Claims Executive event that I'm hosting uh, the end of this month is another event. We do them for our real estate verticals. We also do a number of awards programs. Some of those have sponsorships, so there is a, a financial component to that. There are a number of different ways that our, our company um, is able to bring in revenue. Okay. And that I'm curious about the your conference, uh, America America's Claims Executive Leadership Forum. Mm-hmm. Is that all claims people or do some industry people come as well? I'm trying to maybe meet, meet some it's, of these claims it's, folks. It's open to anybody who wants to attend. Our primary audience are, are um, claims executives because that's pretty much who um, the education sessions are geared toward. We have some more general sessions. So we do have some insurance adjusters who come there. We have had restoration people attend in the past. We have a number of folks from the legal industry, some lawyers, that sort of thing. Um, it's it, it's an interesting conference. Several of the keynotes, I'm actually hosting one of the discussions on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion with some amazing women. That's going to close out the, the um, event on Tuesday. We have another keynote on insurance fraud, what to be looking for. That is still a major issue within the industry. We're hmm. presenting some research. So there's a, there are a lot of different kinds of information available at that conference. Cliff, you have a follow-up? Yeah, I, I do. You know, you used to be, um, you know, you used to be involved in the cleaning and restoration <clears throat> industry. And now essentially you're kind of uh, across the river, you're, you're on the other side. And I'm wondering <laughs> from that vantage point, can you offer any tips or recommendations to the cleaning and restoration industry, you know, to get along better with the uh, insurance industry and perhaps maybe tell us kind of how they view us, you know, now that you're on the other side? Um, it is interesting because I do get to see both sides of it. Um, and here's one thing that I will tell you that my heart is still with the restoration industry. I remember covering something and the insurer was saying, oh, we did this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. It was actually the restoration company that came in that did all of that. So one of the things that I have learned is that insurance is very much a relationship industry. Um, there are Just like every other industry, whether they are realtors, lawyers, or whatever, there are going to be good insurance claims individuals, and there are going to be others who are not quite up to par. It's going to be the same thing in the restoration industry. There are some firms that are just truly outstanding, and there are some that, you know, there there, there could be some improvement there. Um, I think it's, I think the relationship is going to change because they're going to have to rely on you more, whether they want to admit that or not. There are a lot of changes, particularly in the claim space, and that's where restoration companies kind of come into play and why they're so important. We're seeing a lot more of what we call touchless claims now, where everything is handled um, virtually. So if somebody has a flood in their kitchen, They're taking pictures of the loss. They're sending 
the, the damaged photos to a desk adjuster somewhere who takes a look at them and says, okay, this is what I think this should be. And then the first person sometimes to actually be on site and see how much damage there is, is going to be the restoration contractor. And so it is going to be up to that individual to say, okay, this is what we're seeing. Yep, this is right. Wait a minute. There's a lot more damage here that wasn't captured just because the homeowner didn't know where to look. They don't know how water travels, all of those sorts of things. And I think one of the things that I have heard, um, particularly from some of the TPA companies, is that they are really looking for quality restoration contractors. They understand that you represent both the insurer and the third-party administrator to the policyholder. The problem often comes in terms of pricing, and I'm not going to really go there because I don't know enough about it to really um, speak on that intelligently. I just am well aware after hearing from both sides that it's an issue, and I don't have any insights on how to kind of create, as um, Ed Cross would say, a meeting of the minds. <laughs> understood. understood. Well, it, it sounds to me like one of the key points you're making is that restoration guys, you know, people, I should say, um, who have typically been more like tradespeople, you know, they, they get in there, they, they tear things apart, they replace them. They've got to get better at, um, at the, the side of things where they're dealing with the computer and online and zoom calls and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? Yes, that's definitely part of it. And then I also think one of the things that I have constantly been trying to do is to educate the insurance industry on what the, what the restoration industry does, why your services are important, what they need to know about it. They're, one of the things that we're seeing, and I've been tracking this since I've been here, but it has really become a far more important issue, is the number of adjusters that are retiring. And there were people who were thinking, oh, they were going to wait maybe five years and with the pandemic, some of them have decided to retire earlier. Um, but just educating them, there. so there are a number of new adjusters coming in. They are not getting the same level of education that adjusters got 30 years ago. They are literally coming in. They are put behind a computer at a desk. They're getting pictures. They don't have quite the same real-world experience that maybe some adjusters had in the past. And so part of what the restoration industry is going to need to do is help to educate them, whether you want to or not, they need to understand what your value is, what you bring to the table, and definitely how can you save them money and how can you help them with their policyholders to retain their policyholders, because that is one of the major things for an insurer. They care about the bottom line but they also care about retaining their policyholders after there's a loss, because that is one of the major times when a policyholder is going to shop around and decide whether or not they want to stay with an insurance company or go somewhere else. Hmm. Now that ties in nicely with the text question we have here. Um, it seems like they, you know, with the older, uh, older folks leaving and new people coming in, they're not as experienced. They kind of need to rely on somebody to be their eyes and ears out there, the first on site, the first to look at things. The question is, why aren't they looking more for assessors that are inspecting indoor environments 
for things like mold, et cetera, before the restoration contractor. Do you think that's going to happen more now, or do you think they're going to continue to just rely on the contractors? I think that they're probably going to continue to rely more on the contractors unless the assessors can make them understand, this is why you need us. This is what we can do. This is why it's important to bring us in. There are a number of companies that have a wide range of expertise. JS Held comes to mind for that where they have people with a lot of different kinds of expertise who can come in to some of these losses. So I think education will be a a huge part, but their go-to has always been to use the restoration contractors. And as, as as much as the insurance industry has changed over the years, what I will say is that sometimes they can be very slow to evolve and change. They've had to over the last two years with technology because they had to. There was no other way to assess um, claims losses and that sort of things. But I, you know, it, it's funny, we will we'll be talking about insurers and we'll say there are some areas where they are very forward thinking and there are others where it just takes a little bit longer to bring them along. It seems to me that, that you, you kind of hinted at it, but the assessors need to figure out a way to let insurance companies know that and probably through their industry organizations that they can save the money maybe um, by coming in and and evaluating things and maybe getting an impartial third party to look at it. So I I think you answered that well, but I want to go to another thing. And and we were talking before the show, Um, new adjusters are coming in, but there's an increased use of and reliance on insure tech for every aspect of the claims process. I'm not a restoration guy. What is InsureTech and what do you mean by that? InsureTech is insurance technology and it can be everything from how the claim is filed. Like I, I mentioned earlier about the touchless claims that uses all technology. It's an app on a policyholder's phone. When they have a loss, they will have to download the app. The insurer will say, okay, take pictures of this, this, and this, send them to us and upload them. Then what will happen is that there is an algorithm that will take all of those photos and may um, create some sort of an estimate based on the information that has been provided. And so what restoration contractors need to be aware of is how some of the how the claims process is changing, how claims are being um, determined that a lot of this is all being done electronically without an individual, a human individual perhaps involved in the process until further on along. That's why I was saying restoration contractors for a fire or water loss, they could be the first ones that are walking the loss sometimes. If it's really significant, I can't imagine that. Um, that an insurance adjuster wouldn't come out. But I do know that during the pandemic, a lot of how claims were filed changed significantly. And it's interesting, J.D. Power just came out with a study maybe two weeks ago. And one of the things that they found was that policyholders still want human involvement. So if you as the restoration contractors are the first person that they encounter as part of their loss you have a tremendous opportunity to build your reputation and to explain to a policyholder why, what the services that you're going to provide, why they're so important to them. And it's a very unique educational opportunity. But mm-hmm. insurance is definitely changing the way losses are assessed, 
being priced, all of those sorts of things. Information technology is becoming bigger and bigger within all companies, not just restoration, but it seems like maybe a, that's a big issue. I want to ask a quick question. There's, you know, you hear about, you know, I'm kind of on the periphery of this. I see that and I hear a lot about Xactimate and pricing, and I know you don't want to go into pricing, but I'm just curious, is there something similar for Xactimate in other types of insurance property or not just property, but other types of insurance underwriting? And, and um, do they have similar types of programs? And is this just something that I see more because I'm around the restoration people? There are a number of companies that have estimating software for pricing. Xactimate is probably the most well-known because that is the choice for a number of the major carriers. Um, I don't foresee that changing. I think everything is still going to have, at some point, there has to be a way to track the claims and the information and um, to price it. And right now, Xactimate seems to be the the product of choice for the most part, I think. But there are, there are other options out there. I'm only familiar, like there, is pro- there are probably different products for the auto industry, but I'll be honest, that's not something that I really, that I'm covering is in short tech for auto. Understood. And, and then the text question came in, how open are insurance companies to using pricing that's not from Xactimate? Do you know that? No, I don't. I haven't really spoken to insurance adjusters or insurance executives about that. So fair enough. Comment. Fair enough, Patty. Let me ask you this one now. I know this has been a focus of yours lately, cybersecurity issues. I would imagine that effect could affect every business owner. Um, we, we deal mostly with, you know, indoor air quality and restoration people. How do you see cybersecurity issues affecting business owners in our space? So one of the things that you need to be aware of is that a cyber attack, it's not a matter of if, but when, because just about every company, regardless of size, is going to be impacted by a cyber attack in some way, shape, or form. Small to medium-sized businesses usually have fewer um, protocols in place to protect their information and data and to back up their systems. So when something happens, they have a much greater risk. And the the statistics that I've seen and after speaking with um, different executives, a small to medium-sized business that suffers a cyber attack has a much greater chance of going out of business within six months of suffering that attack. The reason that everyone within the restoration industry needs to pay attention and be aware of this is because what the hackers are looking for is information. So think about the data that you have. Think about all of the information that you collect as part of any sort of a job that you're working on for an insurance company. You have the policyholder's name, address, telephone number, email, and other personally identifiable information. Any vendor um, that an insurance company or a restoration company or that anybody deals with is just as responsible for protecting that information as the insurance company themselves. If you remember a couple of years ago, um, Target suffered a major, well, what at that time um, was a major cyber breach. And I think the, the final cost was somewhere in the neighborhood of about $4 million. The hackers were able to get into Target system through the HVAC contractor. 
The contractor had been given a link to access information within the target network. The hackers found that vulnerability and they were able to get in and steal all of the um, credit card numbers, names, birth dates, all of those sorts of things for um, all of Target's clients. Take, Take that to a restoration company. The same thing could happen to any one of you where somebody gets in and steals information related to your projects. Think of all of the estimates that you write. What happens if somebody um, plants a a virus within your system and a ransomware has become the new number one um, way of getting money for hackers? The number of ransomware attacks has grown substantially. So if somebody plants Um, a virus in your system locks up your system and you can't access any of your client records, any of the estimates, any of the information, that is going to have a very definite impact on your ability to do um, business. So at the very least, everyone should be talking to an insurance broker and asking about some sort of a cyber policy because when attack happens, they can help negotiate a ransom, if it's a ransomware attack, they can provide you with access to PR professionals because there's always a PR component to it. Um, they can also provide you access to people who can help unlock the, who have the technical background to help unlock your systems or at least assess what the level of damage is. If there is personally identifiable information, those names, addresses, birth dates, there are federal regulations in terms of who has to be identified, and how soon after the attack they need to be identified. So that's just kind of in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, and it would seem to me that, you know, small contractors, you know, restoration contractors are right in that, it seems to me, that sweet spot. They're not a little $100,000 a year company. A lot of them are a million dollars a year or more. So they're in that sweet spot, and, and they probably don't, protect themselves as well as they could. I'm wondering if when they go looking for insurance, does that same insurance company also help them prevent? Yes. Yes. What they will do is they will do an assessment. They'll ask you a number of questions and they'll say, do you use dual factor authentication? Do you have a VPN for employees who are working remotely? There are a number of different questions that they will ask to assess what the risk level is And then they will also make recommendations. You should consider, you know, whatever the the steps may be to help protect your information, because then it makes it the recovery time will be less. The recovery expenses will be less. And then once you take those steps, it makes it easier to get cyber insurance and you'll get a better price as well. I see. I've got a chat here. Are we small businesses not protected in the cloud when using systems like Xactimate, financial cloud-based systems, uh, et cetera? You, that's a good question for an insurer. I would assume that Xactimate, because all, everything is housed in the cloud and it's done using their systems, they would probably be the first ones that would be, that would be the subject of a cyber attack. Um, But every company is responsible for asking those questions. When you're dealing with another vendor, you need to ask them about that. How are you protecting this information? What happens? It's funny because when I hear news stories now, like a 
couple of years ago, there was an attack. All of the registers within Starbucks went down. And I was like, oh, that was a cyber attack. And I was, I think I was going to RIMS a couple of weeks later and I was interviewing um, the VP of cyber at a large insurer. And I was like, so tell me, was it really a cyber attack? And, you, and I could just tell by her response because she, she didn't want to say we were on the record, but I could tell that that's what it was. And so, you know, there are a lot of different vulnerabilities and there are different people within that process who are going to be responsible for protecting that information. So to, to answer that question, Xactimate and Xactware should be watching and protecting that information but it's also going to be up to restoration companies to make sure that there isn't some, some vulnerability that would allow a hacker to access that information from your end as well. Like you don't want to give your username and password for accessing that to people that you don't right. know or don't know well and don't trust, or maybe you should never do it at all. I'm not sure. And you should be changing your passwords to stuff at, the, at a minimum every six months. Seriously, like for all of your different, and it's a pain in the neck to do it. There are actually, um, there are actually programs and companies out there that will help you store all of those passwords so that you don't have to remember them all the time and you can access them from anywhere. But that is a really, it is a simple way to protect your information and it doesn't cost you anything other than the time to do it. Very good. Let's stop and thank our sponsors here for halftime. We'll be back with the second half. We're talking to Patty Harmon, editor-in-chief of PropertyCasualty360.com Group. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org the indoor air quality association iaqa.org the iicrc a non-profit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org industry sponsors are aeml laboratories free shipping great pricing same day results with no rush fee aemlinc.com particles plus Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals. Availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, April, A-I-R-E.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back with Patty Harmon. Patty, I, I've got a question here. You, when we talked earlier, you said that TPAs will never go away 
and that their success depends on working with quality restoration contractors. Now, you've seen this issue from both sides. Why did TPAs become so prominent in the property restoration business, and why do you feel they're here to stay? They became so prominent because they solved a number of problems for the insurers. They made it a lot easier for them um, because now they only have one person that they need to work with. The TPAs handle a lot of different issues, whether it's billing, finding the contractors, all of those sorts of things. And so that's why I think that they're going to be here to stay. They are solving a very real problem. Also, they are trying to keep prices down for the insurers, which does not always work well for the restoration contractors. I have had a number of conversations with executives and several different um, third-party administrator firms, and they have said that one of the things that's really important to them is working with contractors that they can trust, who they can send in and know that they're going to do the job right the first time. The challenge in talking to some of the restoration contractors who are in a number of these different programs becomes the pricing issue and what they are paid for it. And I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I know. I understand. It's, it's a tough situation. <laughs> it I is. Mean, yep. and, and they initially came in. To, these are third party administrators, by the way, we right. kept using yes. the acronym. Um, why were they initially brought into the process? And do you see this in other areas of insurance? Um, I have not seen it in auto insurance as much. I see it in the workers' comp space all of the time. Yeah. Uh, because again, those are very complex claims. And that's a lot of the value that comes from being a TPA because then they can say, all right, so we have this claim for this individual. They need this specialist. They need this type of care. This is These are the things that we need to be watching. And they can assign um, a nurse practitioner or someone to kind of help and walk that claim through the process for an injured worker. On the, on the restoration side, on the property restoration side, it's somewhat similar in terms of being able to determine, okay, so we need an IAQ professional come in and do an independent assessment, or we need somebody else with this particular type of expertise. And the reality is that they should be able to bring in a number of those different um, firms that have whatever expertise is required for the claim. So that's why that's where I think their value is. Um, and it started just because it was a way to save insurers time and money. And for an insurer, that is really important, um, you know, an important aspect of the of the entire process. But somebody has to pay for it. Yep. Who's okay. paying for it? Well, the insurance company is paying for the claims, but I think I think the restoration companies are going to have to really sometimes they they you know they're going to have to decide whether or not they want to work with a particular TPA if they want to take a specific type of claim because you can't there isn't a business out there that can operate at a loss so there needs the pricing all I'm going to say about this is that it needs to be realistic and I don't I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because I know that there are people on both sides that feel very strongly about this and I don't 
want hate mail from any of you. I understand. I, no, I, I, I thought twice about asking, but I think, you know, give it a shot. You know. Um, now, the other thing that we want to get to round up here a little early today. I'm going to try and get there about twelve forty-five. But there's been a few text questions. Cliff, do you see any text questions that? you think we should ask, please let me know. Joe, I was thinking maybe we should shift uh, the rest of these text questions over to afterthoughts. I think that's probably a better place. uh, That's a great idea. We'll get those on the afterthoughts.iaqradio.com. First on site is our sponsor. But anyway, Patty, what I'd like to do before we go to the roundup is let's get some tips uh, for restorers, you know, um, things like, you know, you met, well, go ahead. You had a whole list of tips that I thought were really good. I did. There are a couple of things that I think you need to be aware of. One, watch what's going on in the insurance market. And, and that's not a push to get you to read PC 360, although that makes a whole lot of sense, <laughs> a number of different, um, newsletters. But the reason that I'm saying that is because what happens in insurance, because insurers pay a lot of the um, invoices, you need to be aware of what's going on. For example, the residential market in Florida has become a lot harder. There have been a number of insurers that have pulled out of the state, have gone out of business, or are really raising their rates or not covering certain types of claims. If you, as a restoration contractor, are brought in on one of those jobs, you need to know what's going on. You need to know what the risks are. You need to know what some of the problems might be. All of of that information just helps you to operate smarter and to be a little bit wiser about some of the the projects that you might take on. on. One Mm -hmm. of the other things that you want to do is watch what's going on in what we call the bellwether states. Within the insurance industry, our our editorial team, there are a number of states that we watch to see what goes on because whatever happens in those states seems to travel to other areas of the country. So the areas that we watch are New York, Texas, Florida, and California. There might be a couple of others. Probably Illinois is becoming one of those states as well. But we want to see what's going on. How are the local? How are the state legislatures ruling? what kinds of, um, uh, I was going to say, how, how are they, what kinds of rules are they putting into place? How are they, like New York City, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out since the pandemic and that is affecting how people do business. Those are the sorts of things that you want to watch. Um, also, keep an eye out for emerging risks. It was interesting when I saw one of the first stories on the um coronavirus, we had, a, we had a reporter in China and she was reporting on something that was happening there. And I started watching this and I flagged it for our news teams within ALM. And I was like, guys, we need to be watching this. This is going to be really big. So when you see certain emerging risks or if there are certain types of claims or projects that you're being brought into, or if there are certain problems that seem to be popping up in different areas, pay attention to those because they can have a really significant impact on the property insurance and the restoration industries. One of the things that we've been seeing that I'm sure a lot of you are aware of are increases in wildfire risks and more severe storms. 
the supply chain issues have been huge for everybody around the globe. I am going to bet that it has made it much more difficult for you to buy supplies and equipment and things like that. So all of these kinds of factors kind of come into play and will affect the industry. One of the last things I'm going to say to kind of keep an eye on or watch is the legalization of cannabis. And you may think that's a really odd thing to keep an eye on. That is a topic that I have been watching now for probably um, four or five years. And the reason that I'm flagging it is that cannabis is legal on a state-by-state basis. And it is now legal, I think it might be 36 states, maybe more than that, um, for medicinal purposes. And it is legal in at least 18 states for recreational purposes. You, as restoration company owners, need to understand how, how having employees who use it either medicinally or recreationally can affect your businesses. Part of the challenge is that there is not a breathalyzer test that shows impairment. One of the other things is that someone can use it over the weekend, test positive on, on a, in a drug test on Monday or Tuesday, but not really be impaired. However, if you have employees who are operating heavy machinery, are driving large trucks, that sort of thing, impairment becomes a very serious issue and something that you need to be watching. So be aware of what the regulations are in your local states. If you are a contractor operating in multiple states, then you need to understand what the regulations are in each one of those states because they vary. It's like workers' comp. Everything is done on a state level. And in some cases, it's not even the state level. It could be city or even a local municipality will have different types of regulations. So just kind of keep an eye on some of those things. There are other things I could flag, but those those are kind of the key things I think you should be keeping an eye on. Excellent points. Let's go to the roundup, John. The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, let's first let's bring the Z-Man in. Then I want to bring Pete Consigli, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog. Pete or Cliff, any final questions? For yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to actually give my final question to one of the techs because I thought it was really good. Patty, uh, you know, from your observation point, you know, you talked about issues in Florida with certain carriers, you know, pulling out and a lot of that's water and storm related. What about California with all the wildfires uh, or any you know of any insurance companies that are kind of pulling out of there because of the risks? Um, I'm not aware of any pulling out. What I am aware of is that they are being far more proactive in terms of requiring that policyholders um, take certain steps to make their um, properties a little bit safer, whether it's the type of shrubs that they have, how far away trees, bushes, that sort of thing are, the type of um, building materials that are used, all of those sorts of things. Insurers are definitely looking at ways to mitigate some of the risks and at least the aftermath um, of a wildfire. So, yeah. Thank you. Patty, I've got one more quick one before it relates to a text question. The question is, are you still working with IICRC on editing any standards? 
So I usually don't share who I'm working for when I'm (laughs) (laughs) freelancing. Here's what I will say. Big scoop here on IAQ Radio. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I, I, I am involved. I am keeping a very close eye on a number of industry standards. I'll say that. <laughs> All right. Now, my follow-up is this. When I see people complaining about TPAs on Facebook or wherever, everybody seems to go, okay, IIC or CS520 says this, just, you know, or S500, I guess it would be. Um, just tell them that and, and everything, will, you know, everything will work out. They, they have to follow that industry standard. In the other areas of insurance that you follow are there any other standards that are as important as that s500 is to the property restoration world you know that's a really good question and in terms of what i've seen part of the challenge is like for in the workers comp area because of everything being on a state level i don't know that there are national well i shouldn't say that i am not aware of any national standards and one of my colleagues who covers workers comp may say that there are definitely um, federal standards that that they need to come in or be aware of. I'm not, but it's more a matter of that I just don't know. I have been so tied into what's gone into the property casualty area that I'm far more familiar with all of those different standards. I'm not, I know that there are some for the auto industry as well, but I couldn't even begin to hazard a guess in terms of how many there are or what they even pertain to. So let me reword it a little bit then. Is it do insurance providers take that standard as seriously as it seems from these Facebook groups and so on? Um, I think it's one of the documents. Those are the documents that make up the standard of care. And I don't know, I don't know enough from the insurance perspective where they will mandate that you have to follow a certain standard. I think it's more important that you're following the industry standard of care, which these standards will comprise. Um, I, I just, I don't know about enough about it from that perspective. Hey, Joe, um, you know, if, if I may, you know, IICR standards are prescriptive standards yes. and uh, tells you, you know, if you have a headache, how many aspirins to take, how often to take them and, and, and so on and so forth. And that's great unless you have like a really big headache, okay, such as a, a monster building, uh, aircraft hangars, stuff like that. Uh, it's, you can't do it economically in those situations. They don't make equipment big enough to give you the numbers of air changes. And, you know, when you have hundreds and uh, millions of square feet and there are build, buildings that are certainly that big, you know, it, it, it's really impractical, uh, you know, and that's where the ed- right. And that's where the education piece comes into play that you'll have to educate the insurance adjuster, or whoever you're involved with as to why, why or why not a particular standard will apply in a situation. So all right. Well, let's bring in the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Pete. Well, how you doing, Patty? I'm doing good. So I, I got a question for you. You know, the um, <clears throat> all the years that you spent uh, in the restoration industry, how do you how do you think that helped or benefited you when you made this transition into the insurance industry? Oh, it was a huge help. It gave me a leg up on understanding the property casualty industry in a way nothing else could do. 
actually one of the editor who hired me was impressed at how quickly I was able to adapt to the insurance industry. And it was totally because of what I had learned from numerous people within RIA and the restoration industry. It made my job a whole lot easier. And I am still within ALM to this day, one of the foremost experts on property casualty losses. So thank you all for that education. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny after, uh, you know, all the transition and then when you wind up, uh, uh, you know, leaving the restoration industry, essentially, I mentioned to some mutual friends of ours, I said, well, if she can't stay in the restoration industry, I guess the best place to go would be the insurance industry. I, uh, I, you know, I often say that about a lot of these students that come out of the Purdue program, that uh, many of the students that come out of that construction management program or Purdue, if they don't come in to construction and restoration, quite a few of them go to the insurance industry. So I figure, well, they got some background and some training you know, in a disaster area, and if they're going to go work for the, in the insurance sector, that I figured out that's that's kind of a big benefit. You know, uh, interesting in some of the comments you made about the TPAs, because TPAs have been around for a long time, long before the model that we know today. You know, traditionally, early in the career, when me and Cliff started, you know, making our bones in the 70s and 80s, most of the TPA work was uh, a lot of these big ind- independent insurance uh, adjusting firms. A lot of them aren't around anymore, but they're, you know, they, they still have, do have a presence. And most of the work that they handled was uh, they either did third party work, cities, counties, you know, self-insured, but also they served the insurance industry in areas where either they didn't have a local office, they didn't have a big presence or they had a big, huge overflow to claims. Um, I, I, but I think the difference, if I reflect back on it, just personally, if we're looking at these changes back then, you still had independent insurance adjusters who dealt with contractors, even in a TPA role, they were still used to dealing with them because they dealt with them a normal, you know, normal first party claims. It seems today the TPA model is different because as they've developed these staffs and the way the whole dynamic is created with the pricing and the fees and the middlemen that uh, it is different and uh, it's going to be challenging. I, I agree with what you said. It's not going to go away, but um what what kind of impact do you think the development of the AGA and you know that whole group and that movement within REA and has gotten you know some brought on you know quite a few people from the industry? What kind of impact do you think that has? And how do you think the insurance industry, you know, uh, what do you think their thoughts are in that? Anything you can comment there? Um, I think anything that we can do to increase the communication back and forth between the industries will be a benefit to everybody. Um, I have been following just generally what the AGA has been doing, and it's been really exciting to see some of the things um, that have been going on. I think that it can only improve it and improve those relationships. Yeah. So I have another. Before you go, what's AGA stand for again? That stands for uh, um, government affairs. The the GA is government affairs. I think advocacy and government affairs, I think, is I think the, the first day stands for advocacy. Um, so here's a little bit of a setup question, but don't get too nervous. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I was very disappointed in was uh, the original idea 
that came from the collision and auto industry, and you made some comments about that, was how they don't have TPAs or it's very rare because they've, they've either self-regulated or they regulated in conjunction with the insurance industry through the CIC, which is the uh, C- Collision Industry Conference, I think is what that stands for. Yeah. And so one of the articles when you were the editor of, of uh, claim of CNR Magazine was a great two-part article that Dale Saylor wrote from his experience of all those years in this in the collision industry before he came to restoration. He thought we should start a comparative kind of bookend type organization called the PIC. And it, it struggled early on and never really got out of the gate. And, and, uh, and then eventually the handlers and the folks that had been managing or overseeing the CIC for those years had the R and made it PIRC for property insurance restoration. And it went on for a year or two and then it just died. And I was disappointed in that. I, they did do some good work. They did have some, you know, some committee structures similar to, to the collision and they, you know, they, they uh, published it. But um, you have any thoughts on why that didn't work and why we struggled and, you know, I don't know, it just it seems odd. We, we should have that, I believe. And I think that can help, but we don't. What are your thoughts? I think, part of the, I think the biggest challenge was actually getting, I don't want to say buy-in, but involvement from the insurance carriers. From the day that we started that, that was always a challenge. There were a couple of people that were involved, but after having worked in and around the insurance industry for the last eight years, there are a lot of different carriers out there. And maybe instead of going to some of the larger, better known carriers, a better approach may have been to start with some of the mid-sized carriers, to start building a coalition of firms that were willing to sit down and talk with restoration contractors and say, okay, this is what we're seeing. These are our pain points. This is what we need to know. So in hindsight, maybe that may have been a different or better way to go. I'm not going to say it's the only way, but Knowing what I know in terms of trying to get something in with a large carrier versus some of the smaller and medium size, that may have been one way to do it. However, by the same token, if you get someone like a farmers or a chub or a state farm involved, once they agree or sign off on something, it is there's almost like a trickle down effect because everybody's going to see, well, what are they doing and how are they doing it? So, you know. There are a couple of different ways maybe that things could have been done, but I think that that was probably the single biggest challenge of that entire endeavor. Hey, Pete, if, 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 if I might comment, I, I think there's a big difference. And, you know, in the auto industry, the total value is the total value of the vehicle. Okay. Yeah, depending on what it is. If it's a new BMW, it's worth 60 grand. The, the most it can be is 60 grand, you know, in some of these it's different than having a policy limit of five million dollars or something like that, uh, you know, on a claim. And I, I think that's really where the difference lies. The maximum cost with vehicles is 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 a controlled cost, and I think the maximum cost in other types of claims is the policy limit, which is oftentimes many many times the amount of actual damage. And I think that's the challenge. Well, look, I, you know, you touch on some stuff. I always felt that part of the challenges, Patty, with trying to have the PIIC, RC grow 
and have the same kind of impact that the CIC did was, I think the big difference was a car is a thing and a house is a thing, but it's also a home. And what you don't have in a car, even if a person owns a $200,000 car, there's only so much sentimentality that they could put into it versus their personal possessions in a home and the distraught nature of, I mean, if they have a fender bender, it's one thing is certainly if there's serious injury, that has an emotional impact in, 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 in an auto accident. But in a home, you know, the impact of a fire or flood or something like that, people in a whole different position. And um, I, I think that there, there becomes more division within the contracting world of do we want to go with the people who have a lot of jobs to give us or do we want to look at the legal implications that we're supposed to look after the best interests of the homeowner or body shops, those cars, which are still things, you know, whether it's a Chevy or whether it's a Maserati, you know, <laughs> it's parts and labor and they, they don't have that. And I, I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. Maybe there's some merit to it. Maybe there isn't. But anyway, Eddie, you want to add anything before we go? Is there anything you'd like to add that we missed or anything you'd just like to add in general? And thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hey, hey Joe, go ahead, before, you get, before you get back to the last word, I, I did add one thing I wanted to close with. And I don't know if I've ever publicly said this. I think I have, but not publicly in this form because now it's going to be on the Internet. It's going to be in the Z-Man's blog. But the job that you did to edit Founding Father's article, it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, only you and me know. But that original draft, which I submitted to you with some ideas that you ran with, when you sent me back the edited version, I couldn't recognize everything that you pulled out of it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, hey, this thing was great. I didn't realize how many words were cut. And I just edited it down and, you know, having a good editor is probably just underestimated by anybody who writes, whether you write a book, write an article, whatever it is. But you did a fabulous job. Um, I'm disappointed that I didn't win the Golden Quill that year, but that's an entirely different discussion. And part, <laughs> part two of that article, I've been thinking about it for 10 years. I think I'm ready to do it. And I told Michelle, if she's ready. You know, maybe next year, that'll be the swan song. So, anyway, thanks. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Thank you, Pete. Final thoughts, Patty? I just want to say thank you to all of you. Thank you for having me on today. It was great to see so many old friends. Um, I was watching some of the comments popping up and, and that sort of thing. And just keep doing what you're doing. You have a, You all play a really important role in people's lives every day never underestimate how important that is. So thank you. Hey, Patty, thank join, you. join us, uh, sign up for afterthoughts and you can kind of continue the uh, conversation okay. from this week. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Patty Harmon. And this week, uh, this week's guest, and uh, it's, I'm sure we'll have you back again sometime. It's always a pleasure to get to a chance to chat with you. I uh, also want to thank the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, my co-host, of course, John, you got to have faith at the controls, Pete, the restoration industry, global watchdog, Pete Consigli, our growing group of loyal audience. Next week, we've got Tim Menz and Rob DeMallow. We're going to do a little uh, 
traditional industrial hygiene discussion, a little bit of asbestos, a little lead, maybe some silica. I think it'll be a great show. So come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening. 